Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about the arts and its importance to our health and well-being. Research has shown that there is a connection between the arts, healing, and positive health outcomes. Joining us is Professor Ursula Payne, an educator, dancer, performer, and professor of dance at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. She's also the artistic director of the SRU Dance Theater. Professor Ursula will share her story and the many projects that she is involved in. But she will also discuss with us diversity in dance, its importance of representation in the arts community. And last but not least, she will talk more about the arts and healing for our physical and mental health. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. How, D? What's going Hello, on? Vicki, how are you? What's happening? What's happening? I am having a wonderful day, a little bit stressful, but once we finish, I'm going to turn on the music and dance, dance, dance. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. I heard that. (laughs) To relieve some stress, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's about relieving stress. It is a beautiful day, and so we are here once again in the hot seat. Right, Dee? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And as I always say, the days are getting shorter. Yes, they are. So we better use them and utilize them while we can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Today we talk about the arts. How important are they for our health and our well-being? And most of us understand that participating or experiencing the arts can be awesome. Some folks love going and experiencing Broadway shows. Others love to go and just look at visual arts, the visual art and exhibits. Some of you like to create art yourselves by dancing around at home or singing at the top of your voices at home (laughs) in the shower. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's it. 
However, research has shown that there is a connection between the arts and healing and positive health outcomes, most especially the relationship between music engagement, visual arts therapy, movement-based creative expression, expressive writing, and all of its many health benefits. Now, one particular study showed that the relationship between, it showed the relationship between coronary heart disease and reductions in anxiety states. And in this study, music was introduced into the private hospital rooms of 45 patients with a myocardial infarction. And a halter monitor was attached to each um, participant, um, baseline physiological um, values were obtained, and participants were asked to complete the state trait anxiety inventory. Now, after listening to relaxing music for 20 minutes, participants exhibited significant reductions in heart rate, respiratory rate, myocardial oxygen demand, and in particular, anxiety, both immediately after and even one hour after the intervention. And so that's why, you know, healing in the arts and health and well-being is, is definitely something that we should take a look at. There has been a growing interest of dance and movement and its connection with the mind and body benefits of motor activity as well. Movement-based creative expression focuses on nonverbal, physical, primarily physical, forms of expression as psychotherapeutic or as healing tools. And through the movement of mind and body in a creative way, stress and anxiety can be relieved and other health benefits can be achieved as well. And so today we have joining us Ursula Payne, an acclaimed educator, dancer, and performer, and professor of dance at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. She is also the artistic director of the SRU, Slippery Rock University Dance Theater, and director of the SRU Frederick Douglass Institute. Ursula is here today to share her story and to talk about the importance of having the arts in our community. She will also give us tips on how we can truly embrace and implement diversity and inclusion within the dance and the arts community. And so we can't wait to hear from her later on in this show. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Yes, it's going to be exciting. And so, folks, I want to make sure, I want all of you to make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Because when you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show. You will be able to listen, learn, and experience our shows where we are constantly bringing in other guests to talk about the things that are important for our health and our well-being and also for our community. As you know, we do not just talk about our physical health, but we talk about things that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. And so we believe in total well-being. That is having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure, make sure you do not miss any of our shows 
and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this show because this is how we grow and increase our listeners. And we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, D, yes, you know, like you said, the days are getting shorter, so we they are. Yeah, we in the Doe House said, you know what? Let's do a quick trip to Columbus and visit some folks and all of that oh. before we got to okay. honker down. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's coming. Uh, you know, it's, y'all, I'll be talking about that when I talk about what's the latest, but you better get all your traveling in now because things, we're going, as the fable singer said, we're going out the world backwards. <laughs> we are going out the world backwards. Yes. 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 So, yeah, because you, you just never know when, you know, I've been, I've always masked up when I go out anyway, even though I'm vaccinated. But uh-huh. We, uh-huh. we will see what we're going to have to do once we all start going back to school because people are, you know, yeah. kids are going back to school now, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of schools have already opened mm-hmm. in a lot of the places in the country and a lot more are going to be opening next week and the week after this big time so it's just going to be interesting some colleges have mandated masks and mm-hmm. some have not so it's just kind of all over the place which is part of the problem there's been no standardization of anything so it's just kind of like whatever you want to do well you know with this virus we found out that whatever you want to do probably is not a good idea probably not a good idea that's right so probably not a good idea so I'm trying to get myself organized and and be on point in case we got to be totally remote on whatever we do in business and school and everything else we're gonna have to be flexible we got to be flexible but even with that you know in Ohio come round about November you know we could have a big uh, snowstorm so let's just enjoy now while we can. <laughs> Northeast Ohio, right, Dee? <laughs> Most deaf, yes, absolutely. So how was your week? Well, last weekend I went to a party, and it was kind of nice to dress up. It was a party that, um, you know, was outside, so you could mix and mingle outside. Mm-hmm. We wore masks and so forth. Oh, some people didn't. Okay. But it was just nice to be outside. And then um, I've been going to Blossom to listen to the Cleveland Orchestra, which has been really good. Again, outdoors. It's, kind of, it's sort of funny. I went to a James Taylor concert, and there were not as many masks. And when you go to the Cleveland Orchestra concert, there are masks everywhere. So I don't know if there's a different demographic that's going to that event but it's been really 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 good to just sit and look at the stars and listen to some wonderful classical music so that's kind of what i what i have been doing well that's good good for you so what is going on this week everything everything yes you know you saw that um they were talking about it yesterday as well but a young track star has died at the age of 26 Uh, i didn't that where, where was that this was uh, this was on they were talking about it on the sports because of his connection he's the godson of carl lewis and his name is cameron oh, wow. yeah it's funny. i just heard, i just heard 
someone interview Carl Lewis this past week because he was commenting on the fact that I think Allison Felix has more medals than he does. Okay. And he was also, they were also commenting about how he dogged the 4 by 100 you know, Olympic teams, you know, how they lost. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was his, it was his godson, wow. Cameron Burrell. And so he was a NCAA oh, wow. track star, died at mm-hmm. 26. And it says former NCAA track champion Cameron um, Burrell, the son of Olympic gold medalist Leroy oh. Burrell and Michelle Finn mm-hmm. Burrell, died Monday mm-hmm. at 26 mm-hmm. years old. And Wow, I missed that one. Yeah, the cause of death has not been announced. But the university says, and he was, I guess the Yahoo Sports reports that while attending the University of Houston from 2013 uh-huh. to 2018, you know, mm-hmm. he was the he was the NCAA 100-meter uh, champion. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to find out how he died, but no one knows that yet, you know. They're not sharing that information with folks mm-hmm. right now. But, yeah. yeah. He dominated track and field at the collegiate level, and he helped the U.S. four by 100 relay team win gold at the World Junior Championships in 2012. Then at the 2018 Athletics uh, World Cup, he won gold for Team USA, running anchor at the four by 100 relay. And at the 2019 World Relays, he won silver in the same event and so yeah it was just a shock the family um leroy said that who's now the head coach of houston's track and field program wrote a statement on tuesday and said that my family is extremely saddened with the loss of our son uh, cameron last night we are going through profound sorrow and ask that all of our friends and um, extended University of Houston family and the track and field mm-hmm. community in the U.S. and abroad mm-hmm. allow us together mm-hmm. with our closest family and friends. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. unexpected. Wow, how sad. Yeah, 26 years old. That's very young. I know. That's sad. But, yeah, very young. he was the godson, godson of Carl Lewis. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, we were just—I was just listening to him on the radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's move on. The summer, the summer Olympics are over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On a positive note, mm-hmm. Allison Felix becomes the most decorated woman and U.S. athlete in track and field history, and her story is so important because she has, you know, from the last Olympics to this one, she, you know, had a baby. She almost lost her life. She had you know, physical challenges, and I think she appeared before Congress talking about, you know, African-American women and childbirth and death, mm-hmm. uh, and then she was trained by her trainer, was, uh, trying to think of his last, his first name, but uh, Kersey, who was married to, I believe, and I stand to be corrected, I think he was married to Flojo, He's the brother of Jackie Joyner Percy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was, that was her trainer, and she earned on Saturday in the 4x400-meter relay. She got another medal, and she's the most decorated U.S. athlete in track and field history. So she has won 10 other Olympic 
medals and competed in five Olympics. And the night before she won a bronze medal in the individual 400, mm-hmm. breaking the record for the most Olympic medals for a female track and field athlete. This one is different. It is very special. And it just took a lot to get here, Felix said after the race. She said she knew there were people who doubted whether she could make the team this time around, let alone a medal. But on Friday, the 35-year-old went out and ran the fastest 400-meter race of her career. She was smoking. She was smoking. She was smoking. Yes. And at 35, (laughs) having a baby and your body changes and this, that, and the other, it was just fabulous. It was great. And kudos to her. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you know, we had the U.S. Women's Basketball takes its seventh gold medal in a row, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there seemed to be two certainties about women's basketball at the Olympics. The U.S. won't lose a game and will win gold. Yeah. Th- these highlights were written by, you know, NPR, but... I watched. I watched. Did you watch some of the the basketball? Did you watch the games? The basketball women. I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yes, and so it was nice to see them. Both of those happened again in Tokyo. They didn't lose the game. They won the gold medal, and yeah, yeah, the U.S. rolled through the tournament, winning all six games it played and earning its seventh gold medal in a row and then Don Staley won her her first gold medal as a coach you know having won three goals as a player so kudos Mm -hmm. to the women (laughs) yeah kudos to the women I mean somebody said in an article the women dominated the uh, summer Olympics in terms of medals Mm -hmm. especially for the United States so yeah kudos to the females that's it that's it and then I always watch the swimming. You watch uh, me too. You watch Kayla. Kayla Dressel. Uh huh. I sure did. Mm-hmm. I missed. No, I didn't see. I think Colin. I can't think of his last name. Uh, the African American swimmer who won in the uh, I think the Olympics that were in London. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the the young woman who was telling the uh, she was an African American swimmer. She didn't do too well. No, but, she didn't. Um, no. She didn't do too well, but Caleb uh, came into these Olympics with high expectations, but no individual Olympic medal. He's leaving with three goals in individual events and two goals in relays, mm-hmm. and he broke his own world record in the 100-meter butterfly and was part of a world record-setting 4 by 100 relay team. He set Olympic records in the 100-meter freestyle and the 50-meter freestyle, a mad sprint that is just one length of the pool. And he led off the gold medal winning men's 4 by 100 meter freestyle relay. I think the U.S. has been so dominant for so long. To put, put my stamp on the sport is very special, he says. He said on the last day of Olympic swimming. And Katie Ledecky, she did really uh, kudos to her yes, uh, yes. from the United States swimming mm-hmm. team. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, well, United States, I think we got the most gold medals mm-hmm. uh, for all the events. So, yeah, good, good job for the team. I know. Yes, the Summer Olympics are over. And I didn't, did you watch yeah. the closing? I didn't watch the closing. This I time. did not. I didn't see it. I didn't, and, you know, it was so hard to see some of that stuff. You know, I was, I was missing some of it because they were, I listened to NBC at night. But, you know, I kind of wanted to see real-time stuff. But it was hard to keep up with the Tokyo 
time. The time, know. yes, I know, I you know. You know, the time was just so different from ours. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Usually they announce, don't they announce where it's going to be the next time uh-huh. the Summer Olympics, do you know? Paris. Paris, okay. It's going to be in Paris. Okay, yeah. all yeah. right. So yeah. there it is. Hopefully we will be out of that, the pandemic by then. <laughs> Hopefully, one way or the other, hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. Well, you know, we always have a, try to have a little health tip. And this health tip is called Food for Thought. And I thought it was interesting because it says, Hungry for Sugar. And this was written in Idea Fitness Journal, the 2021 May-June version. And it says, an appetite study shows that not all sugars are created equal. The sweetness in our diets comes in many different forms and how we get our sugar fix matters. The type of sweet stuff we choose may influence how hungry we feel and in turn affect our risk for metabolic conditions and weight gain. Study participants produce low amounts of hunger suppressing hormones such as peptide Double Y. After sipping drinks sweetened with sucrose, that's um, table sugar, then they did after drinking liquid spiked with glucose, and that's the naturally occurring uh, sweetness, according to a report in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. The findings based on data from 69 men and women ages 18 through 35 also reveal that participants with obesity and less insulin sensitivity had a lower increase in hunger suppressing hormones after consuming a sweet beverage. That may be another reason why it's so hard for people with excess weight to lose it and keep it off with excess weight. Sucrose is made up of equal parts glucose and fructose and is often pumped into processed foods like soda, candy, and cereal. Glucose, however, occurs naturally in carbohydrate-containing foods like honey, fresh and dried fruits, and so forth. And so that is why it is important when you have your sweet tooth you can, we always tell people, sometimes if you, you have your water, put maybe some raspberry or blueberry in there, maybe kiwi, because it gives it a, a, a little sweetness, but right. it's the, the uh, natural kind, which is very right. important because it won't do the devastating things that sucrose and all these things that they pump into the sodas and pops and candy it won't do that to your body. There's what we call hunger suppressing hormones. That's why we tell people you can eat plenty of fruits because at one point you're gonna stop. You're not gonna you're not gonna be hungry right. and craving it. But with the right. other sugar that's in the processed foods, you're gonna still be craving it. Isn't that something? Yeah. Interesting. So huh. yes, that is huh. something for us to think about. So as we all say. Grab some fruits and vegetables, the real thing, and eat plenty of that. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> Stay away from processed food. Stay away from and processed food. And read your food. labels. And read, read your labels. labels if you're confused. Yeah, read your labels. That's yeah. it. So what's the latest, D? Well, it's just more of the unfortunate, sad thing. The Delta variant is continuing to wreak havoc. Today in Ohio, there were 3,200-plus new cases. This is the highest it's been since February. And remember, we took off, but we yanked off our masks at uh-huh. the end of uh, May. Mm-hmm. And so now we're back up and growing, and this number is continuing to grow. I think last couple of, maybe Sunday, it was at 2,000. So it's starting to grow up exponentially. So I think we need to not wait for the CDC guidelines or wait for our governors or any kind of official. Read the room. Put your mask back on and get your neighbors and friends and families vaccinated because this is a mess. Yeah. We got to use our our brains. (laughs) Use your brain. You don't have to wait for CDC to guide you. You can read, you know, how these cases are going up and you know, we've all, everybody's a scientist now. It just takes just un- to understand that you have to put a mask on yeah, put and a mask or on. get vaccinated to stop this. So, yeah. All yeah. right. Well, thank you, Dee. <laughs> you are welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own. Haywood Doe Consulting Co. doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about the arts and their importance to our health and well-being. Research has shown that participating in the arts, whether by visual, music-based listening or movement-based creative dance, all of these can contribute to our healing and enhance and improve our overall health and well-being. Some of you may say, I don't have an artistic uh, bone in my body. That's okay. Even if you just go look, receive, and respond, such as going to the art museum and looking at the art exhibits and appreciate you're doing something. Just doing those simple things can bring about a calming effect on your mind, body, and spirit. There's something about healing and the arts. Now joining us today is Ursula Payne, a professor of dance and artistic director of the Slippery Rock University Dance and Theater 
at Slippery Rock University in PA in Pennsylvania. She will be discussing the many joys of participating in the arts, how important it is in our community. And she will also talk about how we can embrace and implement more diversity and inclusion within the dance and the arts space so that we can all experience and reap the wonderful benefits of the arts. And so let's listen to our interview with Ursula Payne. Here with us today is Professor Ursula Payne, an acclaimed educator, dancer, and performer whose career spans 20 plus years. Ursula is currently a professor of dance at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. She's also the artistic director of the Slippery Rock University Dance Theater and director of the Slippery Rock University Frederick Douglass Institute. Known for the genuine passion shown in her teaching and mentorship for the creative work of her students, Ursula is very involved in campus-wide uh, initiatives and sits on numerous committees across the campus, including the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, working closely with the university's president to promote courageous conversations with students, faculty, and staff. Now, since 2002, Ursula has been on faculty at the American Dance Festival, hosted by Duke University. Throughout her career, she has traveled to more than 20 countries, in addition to successfully completing numerous guest artists, residencies, master classes, workshops, and commissions on choreography. Now today, Professor Payne will share with us her personal story and her journey as a dancer, performer, and professor at SRU. She will give us tips and recommendations on how we can truly embrace and implement diversity and inclusion within the dance and the arts community. And she will also give us tips on how we can embrace the arts and reap the many benefits. How are you today, Ursula? <laughs> I am well. And you know, today is my birthday. I saw oh, that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is really wonderful to be here with you today. Well, today I want you to start out by, you know, telling us your personal story and, and what sparked your interest in the performing arts. Well, I would need to shout out and thank my mother, Octavia Payne, for nurturing my interest and talent in the performing arts. And my mother, she is a retired elementary school teacher, and, uh, and she participated in numerous arts-related enrichment activities when she was in high school and also college. And so it's also you know, important to say that my mother's educational environment was through historically black school systems and institutions in North Carolina and in Tennessee. And I say that because having access to the arts was something that she experienced growing up, and she wanted to pass that along to me. And when my parents relocated to Newcastle, uh, which is a predominantly white area, it was a stark contrast to how she encountered the arts, but she recognized the importance of having consistent training 
in an artistic discipline like music or dance. And she made sure that I had music lessons, so I learned to play the clarinet and also ring handbells, and I sang in the choir at church and in school. And she also enrolled me in dance classes at the local dance studio. And um, my mother always liked to dance. I really, I came of age in a dancing family. And she wanted me to learn different styles of dance. And so uh, she enrolled me in ballet, tap, and jazz. And I believe the desire to have an artistic talent was something that she felt was important for me. And dancing was very exciting to me. And not only did I like to move my body around and make up steps, you know, to popular music, but Mm -hmm. I love the discipline involved in technique training and also the dynamic expression of performance. I was also an athlete who participated in basketball and track and field at a high level in my high school years, and my father was a school teacher and athletic coach. So the concept of consistent practice and physical training was instilled in me Mm -hmm. at an early age. And my parents believed that extracurricular activities was a way to socialize and also develop friendships and close mentorships across racial and cultural boundaries. So, Dee, I I know you probably like, wow, North Carolina, huh, Dee? Carolinian. Oh, okay, yes. So my mom and dad, they went to Knoxville College, which was in Tennessee, and uh-huh. my mother's family is from the Huntersville area of Charlotte. It's right north of Charlotte. I guess now it would be considered a suburb of Charlotte, uh-huh. North Carolina, and that's yeah. actually where I was born. Okay. All right. That's very good. So you were just used to being around folks that moved regardless, huh? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I definitely had that as a foundation Mm -hmm. of my growing up and learning. It's kind of interesting that, you know, parents, African-American parents did have to, especially in the South, provide and push a lot of those kinds of things because I don't know your age or whatever, but during my era, a lot of those mm-hmm. things were not made available to young African-American kids. And so mm-hmm. parents had to be proactive and make those kind of things happen, like, you know, making sure that kids had music lessons and dance lessons and those kinds of things. So kudos to your mom, who sounds like my mom, is a vis- they were visionaries. They really were visionaries, and, and I think they were, you know, they, they could kind of ahead of their time and also they could see how to prepare right their children to move forward in a society that one is that in a society that can can be hostile but then also one that was I think um, opening up in terms of opportunities so opportunities in education opportunities in work opportunities in terms of uh, technology. It's good to grow up with that um, blessing. Now, for me, I I grew up. My grandmother was a teacher, and so mm. I had to wake up every morning and practice piano. I was I was playing piano at I was six years old. This is down in Atlanta, mm. Georgia. Yeah, 
and I would yeah. have to I would have to practice every morning and so I grew up playing in all of that way through high school and college playing mm. the piano and keyboards and organ and all that but I mm-hmm. also was introduced to dance and performing arts then as well but a little bit later on more like the end of high school and college Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. of my life and so and then that's how I got in tune you know because then in the 80s and all that kind of stuff that's when they were really bringing over folks from West Africa teaching West African dance yeah so that's how I got hooked into that yeah so kudos to (laughs) to our our folks from down south you know Mm -hmm. helping us to to appreciate the arts right Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. So share with us your perspective and insight on what direction dance and theater right now is taking, especially when we talk about diversity and inclusion for African-American dancers, because right now with all, I mean, this is all across the board with everything. Mm-hmm. We talking about education. Mm-hmm. We talking about health care. Mm-hmm. We just talking about life. We always have to really sit back and think and go, you know what, are we really including black and brown people and diversity in all of our disciplines? So what about with the arts, you know, are we doing that or at least trying to? What's your perspective? I think it's an exciting time, actually. And in terms of higher education, you have some dance educators like Nyama McCarthy Brown, who is at the Ohio State University, and also Crystal Davis, who is at the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. They are using their research and writing to provide strategies for challenging curriculums that focus on Western forms you know, like modern and ballet. Mm-hmm. And and I think all of these things are really um, important just for how we're moving forward. And they examine dance educational paradigms through the lens of critical race theory and racial trauma in the classroom. And a lot of dance programs in higher ed are increasing their focus and integration of dance forms of the African diaspora. And so educators across racial boundaries are working to dismantle white body supremacy and and secondary education. And this discourse that is occurring, it brings into balance uh, the dancing that is performed in our everyday and social spaces, let's say that connect us to our cultural traditions and our ancestors with dance that has been codified and studied in the studio. And, um, and I believe that it asks questions about aesthetics, mm. you know, career goals, and also what kinds of work-related skills and knowledges are needed to engage with di- diverse communities. Um, because I, I think as we have more BIPOC students mm-hmm. um, entering into higher education, um, you know, they're, they're really uh, challenging. They're, they're really challenging us and what we have historically considered kind of professional, like what makes a professional dance career, and, and even the communities that we're engaging with. So I, I think all of this is really exciting, and it's necessary, and, and it's the future. Well, I'm just thinking back. My son was a, a, a dance major at the College of Worcester, and, mm. you know, I some challenges. I 
you know, it's interesting to hear you talk because they didn't have a lot of uh, people of color in that department. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not at the strategies that they looked at and used and some of the things that his education, it certainly would have been better if he had had you as a teacher or, you know, other people that looked mm-hmm. like him. Yeah, so. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I think this is the kind of discourse that's happening and, and why people are now starting to, I guess I should say it this way, I think this is why I've always encouraged people of, of color to get their degrees, because it's also one way of being able to enter into the system and make change, you know, from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And I think as we start to see more of these as we're starting to see turnover of faculty, okay, mm-hmm. and also staff, and and more integration of black faculty and, um, you know, Latino faculty, faculty that come from a variety of different, you know, backgrounds and perspectives. I mean, it is really shifting. It's shifting the paradigm, and it also allows for a, a, a different student to find themselves you know, in the curriculum and to find themselves in the field mm-hmm. in a way that speaks to their identity, that speaks to where they see themselves going and, and how they want to craft their future. Yes. And I think it's very interesting because, you know, I'm always called back to the dance department at Kent State to um, teach. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thought it was very interesting how that now, instead of West African dance being by by itself when they teach or when it's taught, mm-hmm. you know, they're including mm-hmm. me where it's modern dance mm-hmm. and then slash West African dance. So they're including West African mm-hmm. dance more within the curriculum, you know? So right. I'm glad that that's changing because I think they just kind of started doing that. Now, OSU always, they were always more forward and more, you know, progressing mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff. So Slippery Rock, I know if you're there, I know you have really been for including all the different genres of, of um, dance within the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So what do you say about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I also think our department has really done an excellent job with regard to to making sure we have a diverse faculty because we Mm -hmm. also have a woman on faculty. Her name is Melissa Teodoro, who is a Colombian. And so she brings that Mm. whole part of her research is Afro-Colombian dance and also dances kind of from Latin America. Mm And so she has this whole group called the, Afri- um, the Afro-Colombian Dance Ensemble, and she just recently changed the name to Palenque. But that, I think, has been really transformative for our program in terms of being able to speak to forms of dance that are kind of outside of that ballet modern dance continuum. Mm-hmm. And so they're a performance-based group. They perform in a variety of different festivals. They perform regionally and also um, nationally. And so, so that's been really exciting to see kind of how that has developed over, over the past, uh, what, 16 years or so. But again, it's been a real commitment on our faculty's part 
mm-hmm. especially when it comes to hiring, mm-hmm. you know, to really make sure we are, um, you know, I think walking the walk with regard to, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion and making sure that we have a staff that is able to, a- able to, to speak to what is happening in the field. Yeah, and then also to just reflect, and that's across the board mm-hmm. for everything, to reflect what the world really is, because the world is really right. diverse, whether we mm-hmm. say it is or not. What do you say, Dee? That's right. <laughs> oh, I agree completely. And I was also thinking, too, as you, I, I watched one of your performances on YouTube, and, you know, I think also with this integration of diversity and inclusion and all of that and dance you know i was looking at your dancers and the stereotype of the life you know super thin ultra thin dancer Mm -hmm. the certain stereotypical body type for dancers has to change Mm -hmm. right because a lot of us look like that absolutely yeah because yeah absolutely yeah because everybody doesn't look like that and no matter what if you get that training a lot of us, especially when you when you talk about West African dance, you know, having that strong body and so forth is what what is embraced. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can right. dance no, no matter what size you are, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I tell you, I think, you know, I think I was fortunate enough to have, you know, to work with a variety of different faculty members that mentored that in me. Mm-hmm. And while, when I was a senior in college, I had the opportunity to go to the American Dance Festival, and that was when they were doing the Black Traditions in American Modern Dance Project, and that was in the late that was in the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to be Pearl Primus's personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh wow! And um, and that just completely transformed my perspective, you know, and just just in terms of my choreography, the type of, like what I was creating work about. And then I was able to see masterworks from people like Donald McHale, Elio Pomari, Tali mm-hmm. Beatty's work that were really about exploring the black experience mm-hmm. and um, and the movement of the body. And it really was the first time that I was able to see in terms of, you know, uh, in a modern dance space, okay. um, mostly black bodies dancing, mm-hmm. okay, and, and black female bodies dancing and embodying movement and I don't know there, there was just something about that 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 just really was important for me to be able to understand that there was such a rich legacy and heritage that mm-hmm. we as black people have you know in the modern dance tradition that sometimes can become erased or invisibilized you know mm-hmm. overlooked Mm-hmm. But uh, but the reality is is that I mean there is a rich legacy and a tradition and also innovation you know that that was happening mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. Um, and I saw all kinds of bodies on stage mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and even with talking with Pearl Primus you know one of the things that she encouraged me to do 
was to, you know, develop myself as a choreographer, to learn to tell my own stories because she felt like we needed more black female voices telling our stories and, and presenting ourselves on stage. So that message for me was really um, was important and critical, and it was something that, that kind of shaped, you know, the rest of my career. I know that, you know, you have done a lot of um, creative research over the years. And so mm-hmm. could you share with us some of the, some of the um, powerful research that you have done and how it has influenced, you know, what you teach mm-hmm. and what you present? Yeah, I would say uh, since 2000, uh, a lot of my creative work as an independent professional artist has really been a beautiful meditation on womanism and the global black diasporic dance experience. And embedded in my creative work is that painful legacy of being a descendant of enslaved African Americans, but also kind of the hope of the the cosmic Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is that um, I recently was on sabbatical for the past year and during that time, I was able to work with Nigerian-American photographer and engineer Mikel Owana, mm-hmm. and he commissioned me to create a choreography for film that he is working on based on the African-Nigerian origin story of the cosmos. And so part of this project involved research on Nigerian symbology philosophy, dance, and folklore, and all of that was used to help inspire this original movement vocabulary and to illuminate the story that he was trying to tell uh, through dance. And and Mikel Owana has this series called Infinite Essence, mm-hmm. and it's currently, it's currently being on display throughout the city of Pittsburgh, like on billboards in different locations and sites. He has these large photographs of the black body that he photographs, but the the way he shoots the body, it so when you see the image, it has a reflection of the cosmos. So it actually looks like you're looking into the galaxy mm. and how it's imprinted on the body. And so part of what he wanted to do was to take this into kind of a three-dimensional um, movement landscape and develop a film, and so this is something that um, that I was working on with him. And so this film is going to debut in New York City at the Chelsea Gallery on September seventeenth, wow. and it's going to run through October thirtieth. And so I'm really excited about it. Whenever I get the trailer for it, I'll definitely send it to you. Oh, definitely. Um, so you can take a look because I think he is a photographer that is um, he's 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 definitely on the national stage mm-hmm. and and somebody to watch and and to be aware of. Wow, that sounds then, exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And then I've also been working on my, my own research and writing, and so one of the things I did was conducted an oral history research project, which was titled Going Deep and the Black Tradition in American Modern Dance. And this paper kind of, it, it's based on the interdisciplinary humanities project that occurred at the American Dance Festival. So I was just kind of talking a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But part of what this project did was it brought together scholars, critics, 
choreographers and dancers in order to kind of make a new history, as it would describe itself, a new history of modern dance and restore to the collective memory the names of black artists and the shaping role that they played. I mean, I consider myself a modern dance artist and a contemporary dance artist, and really what that means for me is it's about a, a storytelling, right? It's mm-hmm. about developing original movement that speaks to my experience as a black female moving through the world. Mm-hmm. And so that, that has been kind of the focus of, of my modern dancing. And that is also what I do with students mm-hmm. in terms of how I invite them into my process or invite them into my classrooms. Like they're having that type of an experience and, and then I encourage them to, you know, digest that however it lands and then go about the process of really developing, you know, their own voices. And so part of this oral history project was about capturing the narrative of some key people who were participants in that. So mm-hmm. I interviewed Sharon Price, who was a founding member of Chuck Davis's African American Dance Ensemble mm-hmm. out of Durham. And he's also a professor at Appalachian State University. And I interviewed Gary Harris, who was a principal dancer with Dayton Contemporary Dance Company Mm. in Ohio. And uh, and Mary Corey, who was a dance notation specialist and professor at the University of California, Irvine. And also an African drumming specialist, Khalid Salim, who mm, um, mm. who worked with Chuck Davis for yeah. many years. Yeah. And he is now with uh, Sharon at Appalachian State University. And so, again, I, I wanted to capture their stories because I think there is something that is being forgotten, you mm-hmm. know, because I think as we're talking about you know, how are we moving forward with diversity and inclusion and thinking about the role whiteness is playing in modern dance or how different things are perceived? There is something that, that we start to forget about, about the place of black tradition, mm-hmm. you know, in the development of these styles and how really significant these contributions were to how we're experiencing dance today, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so for me, it's, it's, it's really difficult to say, you know, like modern dance is about white dance, you know, because I'm like, well, actually, there's a whole tradition here <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> that I am not going to forget about and that I'm not going to erase in order to kind of, you know, perpetuate that narrative. Mm-hmm. And so somehow... Um, you know, I, I think all of that is also important. You know, it, it's it's like, how do we round out these stories, right? Because right. I, I think it's all, it's all important. And, you know, but, but again, it's, it's, it's about, we, we need to fill it out and we need to kind of cover mm-hmm. and bring to life some things that have been done in the past, Yes. you know, that mm-hmm. can... It's about reflecting on this past history in a way that helps us move forward, you know, into the future. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and, and it's still, like, I, I think about how still there are kids that don't know this history. And I that know. really need to know this history, right? And that have never seen mm-hmm. dances like 
a rainbow around my shoulder from Donald McHale, right? Mm -hmm. That talks about, that has a direct connection to the criminal justice system. It has a connection to, you know, what what we're seeing today with, with um, you know, issues of incarceration and, and mm -hmm. death and dying. And the same with works like games, which is about children's games, but, you know, happening in, in an urban street mm -hmm. and police brutality and um you know so a lot of what is embedded in the works of these master choreographers like we can see are playing out now mm -hmm. you know in our daily reality and so there there is some history and there are some lessons that can still be learned you know from from having access to these works and and to really and to talking about them and to bringing them into the um, consciousness of young people. Yes. Dance really is really reflecting what's going on in our environment at the time, don't you mm -hmm. think? <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. This is totally not my, my area of specialty, but... I certainly, you know, have been always interested in the arts, and I was particularly fascinated by the photography exhibition that you're talking about because I have started to dibble and dabble a little bit into photography, gotten some works into mm -hmm. some shows. And when, when in New York did you say that was going to be? That's going to be September. Uh, the opening is September 17th. Oh, okay. And then it, it's going to be there until October 30th, I believe. Where and where is it going to be again? It is at the Chelsea Gallery. Okay, is that down in Chelsea in the that the Chelsea district? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Uh -huh. In New York, yes. Oh so. wow, that's exciting, right? That's exciting. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting, and it, you know, and it came about because. I, it, it was interesting because I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to do over the sabbatical was figure out, you know, a new creative stream for myself and also to think about, you know, how do I keep myself self-current mm -hmm. and, and engaging kind of in some of these new emerging technologies. And so when this project revealed itself, I, I was really excited because it really it, it really integrates all the things that I feel I've been uh, working on. Kudos to you. But I want to I want to mm -hmm. move on and talk about, you know, mm -hmm. the Frederick Douglass Institute. I mean, what what, mm -hmm. what is that all about? The Frederick Douglass Institute, within the PASI system, we have what we call the Frederick Douglass Institute Collaborative. And each PASI institution, and there are 14 institutions within the state system of higher education. Now, we are currently going through a restructuring, and so there's a consolidation that is occurring. But each institute, um, each institution has a Frederick Douglass Institute mm -hmm. that operates on their campus. And part of what our mission is, is, is really about creating inclusive university communities and also helping historically underrepresented students and faculty, as well as other communities, you know, really engage in dialogue and develop relationships. And, and also it's about engagement and achievement. Mm -hmm. And so this is a role that I 
was really interested in, and so when the opportunity came to submit an application for it, I jumped at the opportunity because I've always felt like the work that I've done in dance has had a connection to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like, I feel like that has been a very strong thread throughout my work. Mm -hmm. And so this was an opportunity for me to experience it on a different level in terms of uh, within the institution mm-hmm. and also to connect with a, with groups of students that I don't necessarily get to connect with when I'm just dealing with my dance majors and minors. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really enjoyed that. And recently, now you don't know this, but I was just recently appointed by the president of the of our institution mm-hmm. to be the diversity liaison officer mm-hmm. um, for Supreme Rock University, which represents the administration to our state system, and um, and so I'm in dialogue with um, Denise Pearson's office, and Denise Pearson is is our vice chancellor of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the entire state system of higher education, and so I literally just started that role, mm. and, and, and so I'll both be, or I'm still the Frederick Douglass director at Slippery Rock, but then also this role, I think really are great roles to have right now, mm-hmm. and Slippery Rock is in the process of doing a search for a, a, um, a chief diversity officer. Mm-hmm. And so, in and so, my role is going to exist until they find a person. That's great. That's that's excellent. Congratulations. Yes. yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And so, we we talk about the arts. We talk about including um, our folks, our story, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But let's bring it on down to what I truly believe in, and that's healing and the arts, how that mm-hmm. um, um, participating in the arts, or just even being around looking and observing, it can really mm-hmm. it can really be beneficial for our health and well-being. We talk about mental health and physical mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what do you think from a, a dance perspective? What do you think are the the wonderful things about dance and the benefits to our mental and our physical health? Dance has been a blessing to me for my whole life. And I feel like dancing and being able to experience kind of your body in motion and also creatively is life. I mean, it's an affirmation of life. And part of what that does, too, is it really helps to bring synergy to your emotions, to the intellect, and then also to um, your physical senses mm-hmm. and also the, the relationships that you have with people. And so I think it also helps to, like when you think about your sense of self and understanding of identity, movement helps to ground you. And I think that is really important now because everything is so virtual or everything, you know, there's there's such this huge connection with, with this developing these secondary identities on social media mm-hmm. and different things like this. And so being able to reground yourself in the body through movement, you know, and, and 
sometimes when we think about dance, we're only thinking about kind of theatrical performance, but there is that, what I call, um, I like to do movement meditation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's just a sense of connecting, right? How to reground, connect yourself into your body, connect yourself to your spiritual, you know, uh, whatever it is that you are believing in or what grounds you spiritually, like being able to make those kinds of like metaphysical type of connections, mm-hmm. I think are, are really critical for mental health and well-being. And then... Sometimes it's also about that social interaction, right? So you can have that individual experience of, of, of dance, but then there's also that movement, that sense of being social, learning about people moving as one body. Um, one of the things I've been doing over this COVID and over my sabbatical Mm -hmm. is taking line dance classes Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it has been fabulous. I mean, not only is it fun, okay, <laughs> but I've been able to connect into a whole new group and community of people through this shared experience we have with learning these line dances, you know, which in the line dances, they're rhythmical, you know, there's there's patterns, but there's something about mm-hmm. bodies moving in sync, mm-hmm. right, and in unison that that I think, that, that kind of is able to transcend the moment, and it really harkens back to this uh, cultural shared humanity that we have. And so I, that I really love, and I also get that sense when I do African dance, yes, right? And yes. so there's that, there's that connection, you know, to our past. Uh, to the present, and then also to the future. Mm-hmm. And then also the attitude, right? And so, like, with attitude, like, if you think about depression and anxiety, um, you know, many times if I'm feeling some kind of way after I have a movement experience, then my, it's like, it, it, it has the ability to shift the energy, mm-hmm. right? To, mm-hmm. to move the energy around, which is, I, I think something that is really important for us, and especially as we're still, you know, trying to navigate through this pandemic and through, you know, people in all types of situations of of either sickness or dying. And, you know, there's so much of that that we're dealing with in the uncertainty, you mm-hmm. know, of it all. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think these things, anything that can really help you know, to ground oneself physically. And and I also think movement and dance is often overlooked, but it's something that is also about health, right? Yes. And it's about that sense of rejuvenation and what it means to have a body that is a body that can sustain you mm-hmm. in the way that you want to be sustained so that you can walk, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so you can... So you can, if you fall down, you can get back up, okay? Little things like that become really important, I think, as we continue to age. Mm-hmm. And so being able to maintain a certain level of mobility of the spine or flexibility, um, that sense of being able to flex the joints and extend the joints mm-hmm. and to take deep breaths and to, you know, have a sense of your core, you know, just, just become essential for quality of life. That's it. 
quality of life. And so even, I always tell people, listen, even if you just Mm -hmm. put your favorite song on and get up Mm -hmm. and dance, you know, at at your house with your honey sweet or with your kids, it gives that, like you said, that energy, it puts that Mm -hmm. energy of togetherness, of happiness, Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I you know, D, we gonna we D, you know you know how to get out there and I be seeing you with that line dancing girlfriend. I see you. When I was I remember when I was married to my former husband, he used to watch and he was an artist and he was also a teacher of African art and African American mm-hmm. art. And he say it reminded him of a lot of the dances of people of color, you know, the West African dances yeah. where the were in sync, the, you know, mm-hmm. the people were in sync when they danced. And you, when you think about mm-hmm. African dance, at least for me, I'm not an expert, but it is just what you were talking about. And then when you go to, like, you know, I was watching um, yesterday on television the, uh, the, Ma- the women from New Zealand, who many of whom mm-hmm. were Maori, you know, they mm-hmm. do that home mm-hmm. dance. Um, yeah. Where where there's that movement in sync. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. probably something very DNA-ish, um, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. I think so, too. So, I think so, yeah. I think so, too. And it, it just, you know, it, it transcends kind of, you know, cultural boundaries or racial boundaries, mm-hmm. you know. Listen, we've talked a lot, and I want to know, at least uh, at the end of all of this, you told us about your upcoming project, you know. So mm-hmm. tell, tell mm-hmm. people again, because I'm going to put a trailer out and put it on Facebook, but tell people again about um, the project that's coming up in, in New York, and then tell us how we can get in touch with you. Yes, again, so this, this is a project. It's a film by Mikhail Owana. And he is a Nigerian-American photographer and engineer. And the project will be, will have its film debut at New York City at the Chelsea Gallery on September 17th. And will run through October 30th. And then uh, there's another project that okay. I'll be doing. And that's at the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. And that'll be during the fall semester. And I'm doing a residency there. Okay. Uh, where I will be teaching and workshopping Pearl Primus's uh, Bouchage Etude. Okay. And it's part of their archiving black performance, memory, embodiment, and stages of being mm. uh, project that they're doing. So I think it is really, I think that's really exciting. And Crystal Perkins and Valerie Williams are the professors that are um, kind of directing that whole project. And what they're trying to do is also kind of capture the experiences of females like Carolyn Adams, Diane McIntyre, mm-hmm. and B.B. Miller, as well as myself. Okay. And so in terms of how people can get in touch with me, um, uh-huh. I, I am on Facebook. Okay. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And my email address is okay. Ursula.Payne at sru.edu. And so I spell out Ursula, U-R-S-U-L-A dot P-A-Y-N-E at S-R-U dot E-D-U. Okay. Well, do you have to add anything else, Dee? I do not. This was fabulous. Yes, it was. Yes. Awesome. 
Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, this was great. Thank this you was so great. Much. Yes. Now, this ends our show, Dee. Do you have some tips that we should think about? Yeah. You know, it was a fabulous interview. And, you know, certainly you can speak on this more than I can. But what I took away from this was the, you know, increasing the mm-hmm. increasing awareness of the influence of members of the diaspora in mm-hmm. Sudan. Yes. And the, you know, getting away from what we what might be considered the stereotypical dance themes and movements and bodies and people, you know, incorporating mm-hmm. and integrating dances from the diaspora into to dance uh, programs. And I think it's great. And one of the things I think that you both talked about was you know, a lot of these kids come don't know any of these people mm-hmm. or don't have a clue about any of this. So I just think she's making considerable milestones into her. I mean, she has created uh, considerable milestones in her profession. So it was great. Yeah, it was great. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, dance and how we express ourselves through the arts, you know, they're uh, very important and they relate to what's going on out in the real world at that time. And so it represents the past, it represents the present, and the future as well. And so all of this is important, including all of the experiences of all the people, right? We, hey, all of us, even down to representing having that representation as dance professors in higher education and the university is important as well. And then last but not least, just dancing. I like how she was talking about just dancing and experiencing that movement just keeps us grounded, you know. It it has a calming effect, right? Right. It connects right. us. It connects us with the universe. Yeah. Right. It's important for our health and well-being and our mental health as well. And so, yeah, yeah absolutely. it was great. It was great talking with Ursula Payne. Now, to get in touch with Professor Ursula Payne, Professor of Dance at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania, email her at Ursula.Payne at sru.edu. That's Ursula, U-R-S-U-L-A dot Payne, P-A-Y-N-E at S-R-U dot E-D-U. Also, make sure you check out the dance film by Mikhail Owana and Professor Ursula Payne is the movement director and choreographer of this film, this dance film, and it's called Obi Imbu, The Primordial House, and Igbu Creation Myth. This film, this is a 30-minute film. It's a choreographed dance performance, and it features illuminated, it features illuminated black dancers under a backdrop of ultraviolet light. And so, In order for you to check that out, it will be showcasing, it premieres, and this will occur in New York City on September the 17th, and it will run through October the 30th at Clamp Art Gallery. So make sure you check it out. It's in New York City. It's a 30-minute 
Dance Film, O.B. Embu um, by Mikhail Owana, the movement director and choreographer, is our one and only, our friend, one and only, Professor Ursula Payne. So make sure you put that on your calendar. It will be coming up soon. All right. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.